What we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode from the WW Radio Archives. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 717. And each week, I'm going to select an evergreen episode from the archives to share with you that maybe you haven't heard before or one you hadn't heard in a long time, from interviews to top tens, relevant reviews and guides and Wayback Machines and more. It's a great way to visit or revisit some of your favorite episodes, including ones that you have suggested from the vault. And now with these new episodes and opportunities, I think, in the feed, I'm going to introduce and experiment with a couple of different types of content in a variety of formats. For example, instead of a show from the archives, I may do a show about something that is time sensitive. Maybe instead of a top 10, I do a top five show, maybe by myself. Maybe I'll even resurrect my Disney in a Minute segments, but in audio format. I'd also love to take some ideas and inspiration from you and go from there. And we can talk about even more Marvel and Star Wars and other aspects of our fandom and love of Disney and see where it takes us, because I think this really does open up a world of opportunities in an effort to do more for and with you, bring you more fun, value, laughter, and maybe even a little inspiration. And for the archive episodes, like this week, I'm taking out the relevant segment and going to cut out the intro and outro and contests and where applicable, maybe some of the out-of-date news and rumors. If you want to hear the full episode, I'm going to let you know the original show number so you can always go back into your podcast player or feed and listen to the entire thing. And like I said, when I first introduced this concept, I'm not taking anything away. I'm not gatekeeping anything new that you have to pay for. I just think this is a fun way to share some of my favorites and some of yours that maybe you have missed or never heard before. So I'm going to open up the archives again this week. And spoiler alert, I'm a bit of a nerd. Uh, Growing up, I loved and still love video games and technology and storytelling, adventure and the unknown. And that hasn't really changed much over the last number of decades. And more than 40 years ago, a Disney film was released that would forever change really the science fiction genre, as well as animation and video games and the lives of many young geeks like myself. Smart, stylish and fun The game grid of Tron was groundbreaking. And in 2010, Tron was reborn, not really rebooted, with the Tron Legacy film. And do you remember the Tron Rail at Walt Disney World? Electronica at Disneyland? Or what about Tron Uprising on Disney XD? With all of them now obviously being on Disney Plus. So in 2012, on WW Radio show number 277, a little nerdy dream of mine came true as I had the opportunity to speak in an exclusive interview with one of the original Tron films stars, Cindy Morgan, who played the dual role of Laura and Yuri. She may or may not have also been the subject of a bit of a boyhood crush of mine for her role in Caddyshack, but Cindy joined me to talk about her career and her role in Tron as she shares stories of the making of the film, the Tron phenomenon, her fans, and a lot more. And now with the opening of Tron Light Cycle Run this week in Magic Kingdom, I think the timing for listening back to my conversation with Cindy, who, by the way, I still love seeing at comic uh, and fan conventions, seemed appropriate. And I may just have to reach back out to her again for the follow-up conversation we discussed at the end of the episode. And I want to know from you, are you a fan of the original Tron movie? What about Tron Legacy? Have you experienced Tron Light Cycle Run in Magic Kingdom or in Shanghai Disneyland yet? 
Share your thoughts over in the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse or call the voicemail we heard on the air at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. And to share your story, I'll play it on the show. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode from the WW Radio Archives on the WW Radio Show. End of line. The big master control program everybody's been talking about. Greetings, program! I've got a little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. He's a tough case, but I want him treated in the usual manner. Train him for the games, let him cook for a while, and blow him away. I am undoubtedly and unabashedly a child of the 80s. And notwithstanding my hyper-color t-shirt, my Michael Jackson jacket, my parachute pants, capizios, and Ray-Bans, I also grew up in video arcades and on the music and movies of the decade. And even today, my iPhone is filled with nothing but 80s and some Disney music. But I also love the movies as well. And two of my favorites, one comedy and the other sci-fi, included characters that were every teenage boy's dream woman the beautiful, carefree Lacey Underall and Caddyshack, and the equally beautiful Laura and Yori, who existed inside a video game in Disney's original Tron movie. And I don't know who I had a bigger crush on, but it doesn't matter, because both characters were played by the lovely and talented Cindy Morgan, and after 30 years... I finally have the pleasure and opportunity to sit down and chat with her. Cindy, I was tempted to sing the I Was Born to Love You, I Was Born to Lick Your Face song. I was born to love you. I was born to lick your face. I was born to rub you. But you were born to rub me first. But instead, I will say yeah. greetings program and welcome to WDW Radio. There you go. Oh, that's too funny. That's too funny. Lou, you've got a lot more personality than you did when the first time I met you at the table at MegaCon. This is really interesting. I, I was. I, I I'm sure that I was like many of the 44-year-old guys that walk up to your table that instantly yeah. become 14 again. And that, so you, that's exactly what happened. It's so, it's so sweet and it's so charming, but so true. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's the funny, it's, it's, it's the sweetest thing to watch. And it's kind of funny because I can see, you know, guys approaching. Well, I'm going to say this to Lacey and I'm going to say that to Yori. And as they get closer and closer, I start seeing that 14-year-old little boy and I just smile and then it's all over. So, <laughs> it's it's funny and embarrassing because it's true. No, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It's, it's charming. You've got to know it is. So, so it's it, it's pretty cool. So, yeah, and so I'm glad you took the time uh, to actually set up an actual interview uh, like this. So, that, because at at a show, it's it you know my head would be going and swiveling in different directions. And this is this is great. We could actually finish a sentence, maybe even a conversation. <laughs> yeah, we met briefly at the D23 Expo in California. We met again, right. like you said, over at uh, at MegaCon, but it's great right. to be able... And, you know, I wasn't kidding when I said, you know, I sort of waited 30 years to be able to talk to you because <laughs> I was a huge fan. I'm a, I'm a fan first of, uh, of both films. And uh, look, I, I like I said, I was a, a child of the 80s, and you can interpret that very easily to mean that I was a total <laughs> nerd. Uh, I loved watching sci-fi movies like Tron over and, and over and over again. Oh, dear. Um, 
<laughs> you know, rumor has it, Cindy, and I yeah. cannot imagine this, that you were sort of a bit of a nerd growing up, too. And I will tell you, no one, no girl in the computer club looked like you. <laughs> I wasn't I was a nerd and those super thick glasses I'm wearing in Tron are stunt glasses because I walked in wearing my real glasses in the morning because your eyes get tired for God's sake. <laughs> and this, the director saw him and said, that's great. We love the look. So so the, the prop department made me a pair of glasses to wear in the film, which is just screaming hilarious. And yeah, I was a nerd and I was actually going to go to the Illinois Institute of Technology initially uh, to study mechanical engineering. But and was accepted. I went to the open house, but I came out of 12 years of Catholic school and the last four were all girls and I wasn't ready. I, 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 I could, I was stammering. And so I made a hard left turn and went to Northern Illinois, majored in speech, thank God, and communications and uh, changed everything. But I still got to use some technical background uh, when I worked in radio and television. Uh, I got my FCC license and, and did morning drive in Chicago, which was a great experience and ran camera and sound, which helped me when I got to Caddyshack. Yeah, so, and it's funny because it's we sort of had parallel lives growing up wearing thick glasses and going to all yeah. boys or all girls Catholic schools. <laughs> but, oh, okay, so you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, it was it was a whole different, it, and yeah, and by the time I got to college, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but here it is, I found out within a month I really didn't have to crack a book. I pretty much knew how to answer the question by the way it was asked. Uh, we had a very good curriculum in high school and uh but I learned about everything else. I, I, I learned about uh, social skills, and I and, and I got three jobs in my if, a field while I was in school. I, I had two jobs in radio and one in television, and one of those radio jobs was a commercial job, which helped, as you know, very important. Work gets work, so that helped me get the next job. Yeah. So how do you go from you know growing up with the with the thick glasses with the tape on it and pocket protector to becoming yeah. the actress? Clearly, I got over it. Um, <laughs> I got into communications, and I, I wasn't a good speaker. I was a terrible speaker. I had a stammer, but I was a good writer. And in the first, uh, the first thing I had to write in speech, communica speech communications class was uh, the, the the professor said, "Just write a uh, a speech on how to make something. Just how to make something, anything." And 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 why is that? I can I say that on Disney? <laughs> Uh, that I was, I wrote, a, I wrote a, a little speech on the assembly and disassembly of your average squirt gun. And I read it straight face and the, the, the students cracked up. They just thought it was the funniest thing they ever heard. And she called me over and she said, you're good at this. You should do this. And that's all I needed to hear. So from that point, from being very shy and re feeling restrained, I just, I just was spring-loaded and just went at everything that I was afraid of. And which was first radio. And I remember the first time I was live on the air, I couldn't feel my arms from the elbows up. I think went numb, completely numb. I was reading the news. I couldn't feel a thing. And then by the time I got to Chicago, I was like, I, I, I thought I was a real hot shot. I thought I knew everything. So you know, it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, and so let's kind of go back to your uh, your first kind of major role. You uh, you take it now. Let's go back first. You take a stage name. Is it true that your stage name Morgan was from Morgan Le Fay, that from King Arthur? Well, yeah, you know, the, the, the thing is, when I had those jobs in, in, in college, um, I was at two, on the air at two radio stations in DeKalb, Illinois, at the same time. And, and for some reason, uh, the, the, the commercial station said, well, you're going on the air tonight, but you have to have a different name. We don't care what it is. Like, that's going to fool everybody. Or they were even paying <laughs> attention. I, I, I don't know. So, so I, I, and I, I had to make an instantaneous choice. And, and I remember 
reading that story when I was 12 thinking, how cool is that? Because the Morgan character that's being played out on the sci-fi channel is clearly different than the one I read. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, and there's a, this. This is this is an archetypical figure that comes up in myths and legends all over the place, and there are many different aspects of this character. But but the way I read it when I was twelve was that this is a woman who made her own choices and created her own reality. And how cool was that for somebody who was so shy and such a nerd? Someone who could create this illusionary, who could who could do these things. So so I just without thinking said Morgan. So I was Morgan that night. So on the way out of college, I sent out resumes with photos and first I sent out Cindy Sikorsky and um, didn't hear anything back and then Cindy Morgan went out shortly after and Cindy Morgan got the job <laughs> so Cindy Morgan went to work and that was it yeah so let's let's kind of start with that first uh, really major motion picture role because coming from your background it, it sounds like Lacey was you know a, a yeah. bit of a stretch um, oh, what was stretch. the <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the script going, well, this is so not me. I've got nothing to lose here, so I'll just go in and do what I want. <laughs> well, they like that, apparently. And 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 then and it wasn't until I went to the final audition and I looked at the call sheet and I saw I was the only one reading for that character that day. I went, oh, my God, these guys are taking this seriously. They lost their minds. What am I going to do? And I walked out to the parking lot and I went, oh, gee, you know, I, I, and, and I thought, all right, just pull it together. Just, just focus on one thing, just one thing. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to focus on the, who I'm reading with and pray to God it's a man this time and make him sweat. And that's all I did. And and it, when I saw Doug Kenny sweating, uh, I knew I had the job. <laughs> well, and it looked like one of those films that I could only imagine had to be a fun movie to make. And look, like, like some of the other oh. comedies of the late 70s and early 80s, I think things like Blazing Saddles, you know, yes. it possibly couldn't even get made today. No, 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 because well, some of the, the, the political details are, are very uh, specific to the time uh, that they were made. So, so some of the jokes are specific to that point in time. Whereas Caddyshack, we, I know you've heard probably the script was just kind of tossed aside. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, everybody, I, I, you know, on both films, I've got to tell you the truth. I just stopped reading the script and, and the call sheet and what we were shooting that day because it really didn't matter anymore. I would just show up for work and go, all right, What? Now what are we doing? And okay, you got some sides and some pages because to look at just to give me a guideline, you know, just so I know what's going on today. Because on Caddyshack, it was a, a damn free for all. And thank God I had already learned to run camera and sound and knew who belonged there and who didn't and where the scene was and where the camera was following. Because uh, I, I did get some acting classes really quickly, thank God. One of them was improvisation, which helped enormously. Because coming from broadcasting, I had to learn one thing that I didn't know how to do. I didn't know how to listen. I know that sounds hard to believe. <laughs> and let the other person take the lead. And that was important. Um, Harvey Lembeck, my improv coach, said, Morgan, shut up. Stop it right there. Stop talking. You're going for the joke. Stop it. I go, yeah, but I'm funny. I don't want to hear it. Stop talking. And uh, he said, you're the straight. Set up the joke. And uh, he got, and that actually is, is kind of important. So you wouldn't have... You know, I mean, I hate to go way back, but you wouldn't have Abbott without Costello. I mean, right. you, you need there has to be the audience's point of view, which is the straight pretty much in the in the film. And and luckily, these guys were just so damn brilliant. All I had to do was listen. 
Well, I mean, and, you're, you're working with legends of comedy and yeah. the SNL grads, I mean, Bill Murray yeah. and Chevy Chase. So yeah. you probably didn't have much of a choice as to just sort of let them just go and do their thing. Oh, I had choices. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me back you up there for a second. First of all, as soon as I knew who I was working with, I stopped watching SNL because I didn't want to be intimidated on the set. I just wanted to go in and react without, you know, without choking. I, I just wanted to do my job. And um, yeah, these guys are strong, very strong. Uh, but but some of the best work I did when we, I was going head to head with with a couple of men. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, when that camera's rolling, it's an even playing field. So, you know, anything goes. Yeah. And obviously some of the scenes that you had uh, with Chevy Chase are the ones that are most memorable. How much of that was well, you were talking about scripted and just you and Chevy just going off and doing your thing? Whole bunches were Chevy doing his thing and me going, why am I here? That, the, the, the piano song that you were going to sing, I don't know if you've heard this already, but but I was getting, we, we had been, we we're doing love scenes, which are not romantic, in a house in South Florida. Then we've got the giant Klieg lights on over there, and it's like maybe 100 degrees in the house plus humidity. And after two days, you're really tired and a little, little, little fed up with the whole thing and I'm getting my makeup touched up because you know it's, it's hot it's t- and, and Harold Ramis comes over and said come over here and sit down I went what you know why <laughs> and he goes just just come here sit down and ask Chevy to sing you a love song I said fine you know we're burning daylight but fine and I sat down and said sing me a love song and I look at him and he launches into the song he snorts the salt throws the tequila <laughs> singing and out of my the corner of my right eye I can see the red light on the camera I went those <laughs> guys are filming this and Alan and I looked in front of me I saw the tequila and I, I took a shot and oh it was tequila um and uh and and just we just did the scene I mean I you can tell that that reaction you can't make up a reaction like that and and then when we were doing the, the the acupuncture scene some of that was in the script but a whole bunch of it wasn't um we had had a couple of conversations previous to this and they were passionate conversations and then we went to shoot the scene and I, then he decided it would be a funny thing to dump a bottle of baby oil on my back <laughs> but i you know if you look at my eyes I, i'm thinking i'm not going anywhere pal i'm staying right here <laughs> so do what you want but i'm not leaving <laughs> and, uh, and there was the scene and and honestly it was the best work we did and i was i'm so proud of it i gotta tell you well, it's still, you know, we'll talk about this later. It still sort of holds its own uh, all these years later. But how does that gap from Caddyshack and beyond eventually lead to Tron, which comes does, out in a couple of years? It does. It actually all made sense. There, there actually is a, a tie. While I was studying comedy improv before I went to Caddyshack um, with Harvey Lumbeck, he had three classes of 24. And I was in the, in the, in the, the, the bottom class of 24. But in his master's class, I was dating one of the guys in the master's class of 24. And in that class, they had John Ritter. Penny Marshall and Robin Williams. It was a good class. And I was dating one of the guys from that class. And he took me to lunch with some director for some cartoon he was doing. This is before Caddyshack, I believe. And I'm eating lunch and I'm listening to them talk about this cartoon. And it sounds great. But, you know, I was eating lunch. So I, I didn't pay. I really wasn't paying much attention. And I didn't work for a long time after Caddyshack. Not really sure why. Uh, but I was told I wouldn't work again. I don't know what the real, real reasons were. But I, I had very few auditions for the next year. Actually, literally, I had more lunches with my agents than auditions, which <laughs> another thing I wasn't real happy about. I changed that situation right quick. Um, but but anyway, suddenly I get this call to not come in and read for a casting person, but to come in and be put on tape with Jeff Bridges for the director, which is bypassing all the middle ground. Hmm. And I didn't know why. I just went, OK. So I came in to read 
to be put on tape with Jeff Bridges and, and clearly a lot of Tron, a lot of the dialogue out of context makes little or no, no sense uh, to, to the average bystander. Even now, you really have to be into it to understand what's going on. And But I figured, okay, here I am. There's Jeff. He looks nice. And there's a director. And they got a camera. I know what to do. So I, I, I was on tape. And um, that was Tron. The lunch I was at with that guy I was dating, was he was originally set to play Tron. A year and a half, two years later, he was out. I was in. Hmm. And many years later, I said, was that Tron that we went to lunch? Where he goes, yes. And I've forgiven you, and I'm never taking another after lunch again. Um, I said I didn't know, and you know I did. I had no idea. So it was at that lunch the director Steven Lisberger saw me and had cast me. It was down to me and Deborah Harry without thinking. He had his vision in mind of who was going to play Yuri and Laura. So when you come in, I mean, look, this this nothing like a, a film like this had ever been done before. No. How do they sort of explain this <laughs> probably very foreign concept to you? Foreign doesn't even, if foreign would make it easier. At least I'd have a reference point. Uh, there was nothing that had ever been done before. The first thing that was shown to me was um, a computer animation. I don't know if you've ever taken an art 101 class, but the human figure is done with ovals in, in, you know, to make the, the upper, upper arm, the lower arm, the upper leg, the lower. It was a series of ovals that looked like a puppet figure. And it said, we're going to animate like this. And I'm looking at that going, okay, you know, uh, fine. You know, and, and then, you know, I worked green screen before because I'd done the weather, so I knew what that was. But this was not green screen or blue screen. This was shot completely in black and white, which didn't matter because either way, there's nothing there. Um, and uh, we, I, you know, I read this, this story. And again, I, I just took it for what it was, just like when I worked in radio and, and I would get a commercial or when I worked in television, I would get a commercial. I just took it at face value. Walked in the studio, ready to go to work, and and I would get a description from Lisberger, Stephen Lisberger, and he'd say, you know, you're running from here to there, and that's trying, and, and you know, and I'm working with good actors, Bruce Foxleitner, Jeff Bridges, we got along great, so I found the reality in their eyes. That's that's where the reality was, because there was nothing there, and also working with David Warner, uh, and Barnard Hughes. I mean, when when David Warner told me I was going to die, I believed him. He's a very powerful actor, and Barnard is charming, so. The only time I, I took issue with it is, is when, well, I came in, again, threw away the script. It didn't matter. I, I, I came into work one day and, and Stephen Lisberger said, okay, today you're on the Solar Sailor, you're on the Game C, you're flying it, Morgan, go. I went, all right, I got to stop you right there. What are you talking about? <laughs> there's nothing here. I don't want to be the one to say it, but there's nothing here. This is a black warehouse. The, the sounds, it was a sound stage, which is like an empty warehouse, painted black, solid black. Uh, there's nothing there. There's a little black riser that with, with steps to it, and on it is a black banquet table with nothing on it but black felt. What do you want me to do? Exactly. And he said, just do anything. The Disney artist will paint it in later. So I looked down at the black banquet table and said, I better see something because the audience knows when you're lying. Um, and in my mind's eye, I saw a soundboard, which I know how to run. I, 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 again, going back to the sound engineer experience. So in my mind, I saw a soundboard and this soundboard was moving this forward. The only time we ran into a snag is when Steven Lisberger came over and said, all right, the three of you are looking in three different directions. What can we do about that? And I said, again, again, thank God for all the broadcast background. I said, can you just get a, one of one of our grips to take a roll of tape? They've all got tape, gaffer's tape, and just drag it uh, uh, on, on a rope across the floor. Well, at least we'll have a, a, you know, a, a, something to focus on. We'll have the same 
uh, point of focus. And we all, that's what we did. I mean, it was, it was pretty much rudimentary, but talk about doing something analog that, that exploded into something else. It was, it was amazing that we, that we did it and it worked out as well as it did. Well, and you know, you, you really portrayed the same but different characters. I kind of look at Tron as it's kind of like Wizard of Oz. You know, Dorothy yes. was in her world in black and exactly. white. This exactly. other world exists on the grid. How do you approach these two characters? I mean, they were sort of mirrors of one another, but they're also a little bit different as well. Um, I had to find something in me that could possibly in my world ever do these things and then amplify it. Yori was extremely difficult because she wasn't a human being. Um, Yori was, uh, and so I had to just reach into some, my frame of reference and dig up the closest thing to it, which would be, if you look at the old movies, the, someone who grew up in a desert island who really didn't have any interaction with the outside world, so didn't have social skills and, 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 and didn't understand certain things. So she had an innocence about her, and yet she had part of Laura's memory, which, and I just had to make some quick choices because there was nothing there that, that I could grip onto. Um, Stephen had a Stephen Lisberger had a really strong vision in his mind, and and it's a good thing he did because he held really hard to it, and that's I think again why I think it held up over thirty years. A, a lot of the dialogue I was agonizing over. I would say, Stephen, I can't say this. My friends are coming to the movie. I can't say this, <laughs> and 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 he'd say. And I'd say, and I can't understand what I'm saying. And, and, and how is anybody else going to understand? And he goes, well, the movie's not for them. I said, well, they may not come to the movie, Stephen. <laughs> and, and you don't win a fight about dialogue when you're arguing with the director who's also the writer. So, so just forget that. So there's a line in the film that I choked on. And remember I told you you can't lie to the audience? There's a line I choked on, and the audience cracks up every time they hear it. And now it's become my favorite line in the movie because... You can't lie to the audience. It, it's that it's the one the one line I just said. I can't say this, and he said, "Say it anyway." And it ended up in the film. It's the line, "Oh Tron, I knew there wasn't a circuit built that could hold you." Inside, I'm like, oh, "No, I can't say this." And the audience knows I'm choking on it, and they laugh because it, it, because I'm not committing to the line. I mean, I'm not making it my own. I'm I'm fighting it, and they sense it. They know something's wrong, and it, it and it gets them every time. So it's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I mean, again, too, you know, the movie was decades ahead of its time. I mean, you're talking oh, yeah. about concepts that now we understand, but, sure. you know, back then, you had no idea what you were talking about. No, of course. And the iPad 3 just came out yesterday. Yeah, at that point, I mean, I said, I had some little, at the time, tech background. And and, and these were all, I'm not, the, he, he, he made concepts out of simple ideas, uh, technical ideas. They became concepts and elaborated them into almost a spiritual belief, which actually worked out in the film. A lot of people, where Caddyshack is a lifestyle to a lot of people, Tron is more of a spiritual attachment. And just by talking to the people I meet, I can. it really means a lot to them on, on a much deeper level. So it's, it's interesting to see. Well, you know, you think about, and look, this is very early on, sort of in the beginning of this sci-fi rage. It's a few years earlier. You know, they're making Star Wars. They think it's just going to be sort of a Western and out of space. Do you kind right. of, as you're doing this, as you're making this film, do you realize at some point you're doing something special or, or that you're going to be talking about it 30 years later? Um, while we were shooting the film, no, because if I was thinking thoughts like that, I'd be in a lot of trouble every day. I have to really think about where I am and what I'm doing. But afterwards, when I was doing the press junket and I, and I did the tonight show and, and I, I, I traveled around the country and was explaining it to people. And I saw it in time magazine, I did realize something, what special was going on because the concept was so innovative. Uh, it wouldn't have had the impact it did. Tron didn't have the expected impact that 
people were hoping for at the time. And it actually, you know, people just, just pushed it to the side for the longest time, which, you know, you never know what, how it's going to be received. And, but I think the fact that Steven Lisberger held strong to his ideals is one of the reasons it held up over time. Um, he, it, it wasn't a McMovie. He really had a, a vision and he held to it. And then that's where, that's where the art of show business coming, comes in. Having a real strong vision um, and meaning it, not just, it's, it's not just about ego. It's, it's, it's really what he believed and it really transferred through. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Well, what about for you? You know, you're talking about shooting against this black background with, with gaffer tape. What's your reaction when you first see the film? Cause I have to imagine there's no dailies because of the CE- no. CGI and hand animation. Dailies. It took them like eight or 10 months. They, they, this, this, this footage, I mean, just, 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 this was labored. I mean, I mean, where there were just layers and layers and layers of cells that were put together to make each frame of footage. Um, so many, so many months in, 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 in post-production. Um, so when I finally saw it, I was, I was just, I didn't know what to think. I, I mean, I, it wasn't anything like what I saw. I saw the Sydney graphics. I saw what it was going to look like, but I wasn't at all prepared for it. And, 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 and again, I'm, I don't, I'm not a big fan of watching my work anyway. So I was, I was floored. I really just didn't know what to think. And Carson asked me, what did you think when you saw it put together? And all I could say was I was stunned. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and now when I say, see it, I just love it. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it, it, and, and in the Blu-ray, it's gorgeous. And, and, it, and it has a, a, a charm and a warmth and an impact that holds up. And I, I like it a lot. Yeah, and, you know, we were talking before about sort of, you know, now in 2012, you have a way to get direct and personal immediate reactions from fans. You know, yes. back in 1982, you don't have that sort of direct connection. You don't really know right off the bat nothing. what that response is going to be. Nothing, nothing. All I'm hearing is filtered through my agents, managers, and attorneys, and bless their little hearts and souls. Uh, <laughs> I should a lot of the time it wasn't accurate, the feedback I was getting, not even close. I mean, so, so, um, I'm really glad that these two films did as well as they did. I mean, you gotta know that after, you know, first doing Caddyshack and not being allowed to work for a couple of years, you're an attorney. You, you, yeah. And my, and you want to go, where, where was my agent? Where was my attorney? Where was anybody? Um, there was nobody. And then, and then, and then Tron not being as received as well as, as everyone had hoped. 30 years later, you got to know I'm smiling just a little bit, Lou. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and just, just a little. I'm not saying much. I'm letting other people do my talking for me because I think that's more polite. But um, you got to know I'm smiling. Yeah. Well, you know, and one of the things that always fascinated me about the film, you know, we talked about how most of it was shot against this black background, but there was that sort of our side of the world stuff. You guys actually shot over at Livermore Labs. And for those yeah. people who don't know, it's a nuclear weapon national security lab. How That's right. Did, you wonder <laughs> how the how hell did, did we get there? How did <laughs> Disney get to go, you know, to shoot, to shoot a film there? That's a damn good question. I suggest you ask somebody at Disney. I have no idea. I mean, I, I had somebody ask me a couple of weeks ago. So, honest to God, they said, so were you given a map of the place? I said, listen to me carefully. <laughs> they don't give you maps of this place. You go in, you get on an elevator, and you go like 10 floors underground. There are no maps. You know, there's no online, you know, no. The fact that we were in there at all. I, you know, and believe me, I understood how controlled the environment was just by the way the nervousness of the people around me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was picking up on it. And, and, and to the point where, I don't know if you've heard the story, but at one point 
there was a there was a a, a blocked off area. There was a little taped up. It, it, it was a raised piece of tape about six inches high. It was it was blocked off. But my makeup trailer was over there, and I had to go there for something. So I'm like, these guys are busy. I don't know. They're going to be tied up for another 20 minutes talking to each other. So I'm going to go to the makeup trailer. So I make a shortcut across this tied up area, and everybody goes, stop! <laughs> <laughs> and there's like the whole place stops and freeze! And I'm freezing. And then these texts come running out, and, and it helped me back through and to get my shoes, and they're decontaminated. I'm like, holy Christ, what did I just <laughs> excuse me? Okay, get that out. Just what I just said. I mean, just the, what did I just step in? Literally, not just figuratively. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was exactly what you say it was. And I have no idea how we got there or how, what we were doing there. But I, I know we would just, again, it was, we were taken to it. And, and people were asking me these questions and these are good questions. Well, you know, did you get to meet people? Did, I, are you kidding? I mean, I knew they were there because when I stepped in the wrong place, they all flew out, but no, they don't chat you up. They don't give you a map. They don't, you know, you don't get it. Somebody actually asked, did you get a tour? I said, are you kidding me? Did you not hear what I just told you? You don't get it. This is not a place that gives tours. I, I have no idea why I was there. But but it was great to have been there. And what a great group of people. They were very kind. They were very accommodating. Um, great place to work, but clearly a controlled environment. Yeah, I just, I kind of picture in my mind how that conversation goes somewhere from Disney. Says, Listen, we want to make a Disney movie about a guy yeah. who goes into a video game and we want to do it in this nuclear weapon security lab. Well, again, <laughs> you know, um, the, the 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 cool thing about and the and the thing that that causes a lot of sense of responsibility about the entertainment industry is that it does carry that much weight. Um, when when Caddyshack, I'm, I'm still doing the book on I'm trying to finish it uh, on my app crash. The book on the making of Caddyshack. The, those guys at Warner Brothers, well Orion Films at the time, were given the keys to the state of Florida pretty much. Those those water sequences were shot in three different counties, from what I can tell. Um, and we were just shooting. Aimlessly, the golf course was blown up. They gave these guys gasoline. I've got photos of the gasoline truck pumping it into the mining it. They mined the golf course with gasoline, and the people who owned the golf course were sent to a party. They watched. They said, "No, you're not going to blow up our golf course." And then they're watching the news at the party, and they watch their golf course being blown up. The next day, they painted it green and they blew it up again. I've got photos of the tarp and the gasoline truck and the three-story fireball. This is not an ending. So the fact that somebody said, this is Disney, we'd like to shoot there. Well, let's see what we can work out. You know, well, control your comings and goings. So, so the entertainment industry is, it does wield a lot of power. This is a media-determined society for sure. So, um, it, but, but again, it also carries, I would hope... <laughs> In some cases, at least, a lot of responsibility because um, people believe what they see here and you want to make sure that it's at least accurate, if not responsible. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. These two roles, again, literally worlds apart. But I think the films. Yeah. yeah, But but the films themselves are, are somewhat parallel because they do stand the test of time and they're being introduced to new generations and still being enjoyed by those of us who saw it in the theaters and and. For the most part, other than maybe the clothes, you can watch both of them with really no sense of them being dated per se. I know what you're saying. It's 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 a, it's astonishing, but the coolest thing ever. I mean that that they're holding up over time. Uh, I, I, and it, what an I mean I've known better actors, more beautiful women, people who had better business contacts than I did, and how lucky for me to have been in both. So very very lucky. So as time goes on. Um, yeah. And and, uh, and you hear about the making of Tron Legacy. What's your sort of reaction initially when you hear about that? 
I wanted to see what they were going to do. It was, it was, it was interesting. And there were all kinds of opinions and camps and people with storylines because it's 30 years later picking up the story. And, and, and there was an, in between there, there was a game, a video game that was made that, you know, and, 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 you know, in the sci-fi world, you know, you know, people keep saying, well, you're in the movie, you're not in the movie, you're dead, you're alive. What do you think? <laughs> and I just keep smiling going, it's science fiction. Anything's possible. I got time. I got all day. Remember what I said when I was on the set of Caddyshack? I got all day. Take your time. So we'll see. I, I, uh, I, I, I thought it was a, a visual feast. Uh, it's interesting to see where the story is going to be taken. But the important thing to always remember is these films belong to the people, the fans who kept it alive for 30 years. Yeah, there's a whole new core market. When I, when I, when I go to appearances where before my demographic was specifically 79% male, I know because I get the stats, um, now I'm meeting young women I'm talking about in their late tweens or early 20s who love the Yori character. Mm. This is this is astonishing and incredibly cool to me um, because, as you say, a whole new generation of people who love the film. Yeah. And she's a strong woman in a science fiction film that 30 years later right. still sort of, you know, look, your role kind of transcends the film. It became uh, very much sort of an iconic and sort of a cultural touchstone, especially for women. I know, and, and 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 how glad was I to have been part of that? As far as Lacey goes, a lot of guys, you know, go on and on about how Lacey walked around, and it was clear when I wear the Fila shirt, she was Lacey was flawless. <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, that was a political statement. Uh, women had just literally or figuratively burned their bras. So again, she was. I made strong choices for Lacey because Lacey had just, it was shot in 1979 and women had just fought for all these rights. So Lacey was, came from not a, what can I get away with? I want to get into trouble kind of a mentality, more like a strong, okay, I just came into my own. Now I'm going to take it all. <laughs> so that's who Lacey was. So, so hopefully again, a strong character and, and, and coming from a position of strength, no matter how it plays out, I think is, is always a good thing to do. I don't know, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, the, the characters, and certainly, look, the, the film itself was important. You know, John Lasseter, who heads, obviously, Disney's animation, you know, said without Tron, there would be no Toy Story. And I think uh, the strength of the characters had a lot to do with the, the success and the longevity of the film as well. Well, people don't fall in love with um, graphics. They fall in love with, so they, they, they find form an emotional attachment with the characters in the films. So, yeah, that was that. What? Thank you for that. And that is kind of important. And I can. Right. And that emotional. You look, I I saw that emotional attachment firsthand. I saw it at the expo. I saw it at Megacon when guys and girls are are lined up to to meet you and talk. So other than maybe asking if you're single or if you like skiing, (laughs) skiing or bullfighting, you know, the reference. What do they say? What do they say when they come up to you? Uh, you know, it's it's. It, I can see all kinds of thoughts. I mean, I'm reading all kinds of thoughts going across it. Well, mostly the, the the young women who come up because they like Yori and Tron, unabashedly are just. They really, really are so glad that there's a character that they can relate to that makes them feel empowered and strong, and that is such an honor, to 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 have, to, to have played thirty years later to have people reacting to that. Uh, they feel empowered. They feel strong, and 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 they they're so happy. I mean, it's just it's 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 just a, a wonderful thing to see that I can't even I can't even put into words their the, the emotional response. It's just it's just wonderful to see. 
and 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 the guys who come up have a few more agendas but <laughs> but but again it's it's sort of cool to see and again makes me smile that they just that that you and it, it's 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 it is it is a good feel it, it's a wonderful feeling and i just i just shake my head going i, I must have done something right there so, so that's this is pretty cool um and and very much enjoying it um and it just i just think that nothing changes over time i mean it just lets you know that nothing really changes so that's what that's why i mean i hate to compare it you know things that people fall in love with that came before tron and Caddyshack obviously will still continue to hold up over time yeah, and look, the, the Tron franchise looks as though it's going to continue for years to come. There's an animated series, so. there's talk of another film, yeah. maybe Yori will so. finally make her reappearance, but... Well, so, there's plenty of Yori Live sites all over the darn place. I was going to oh. say, Yori has her own, oh, yeah. you know, cult fan following online. Yeah, yes, she does. I, I, I think it's, again, um, this this was a case, you, you want to know how it happened, Lou? It, had I actually been in Tron Legacy, I don't think this phenomenon would have occurred. Uh, because I would have just been part of the package, part of the franchise. But because Yuri was not included, suddenly a man from Sweden at, at, at an event I was at a year ago said it most clearly, most articulately. He said, you're part of our family. Where did you go? <laughs> um, pr pretty much. That's the, the feeling a lot of people have. So had Yuri been included, it wouldn't have created, again, this emotional reaction so that people wouldn't have been asking about the the depart where it was. And because people ask I, again it's most polite to let other people do your speaking for you in a case like this and more effective and more and more people asked and then websites started and this was picked up by the press who were kind enough to to reiterate the question and and acknowledge it so it it just gave it life it breathed life into this phenomenon which i'm still shaking my head about going cool <laughs> and, and thank you uh, what am i going to say thank you um for that yeah so I'm, Absent, absence truly does make the heart grow fonder. Thank you. That is, that's the most beautiful way of saying it. Uh, absence has made the heart grow fonder. May I quote you, Lou? Absolutely. I stole that line from someone, but feel free to attribute it to me. Well, yeah, I, I'd say that really uh, says it well. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. But you have a lot of other things going on, too, and you alluded before it has the from Catholic school to Caddyshack book? Is it is it coming soon? Is it something rewrites, we can start rewrites, rewrites. <laughs> and, and the, because oh, you're going to love this. You're an attorney, so get this. I have the rights for the purposes of the first inception of the book, which is going to be a coffee table book. The reason is I have the rights to 1,700 behind the scenes images. Wow. For the purposes of the first book, it's 80% written. After I turned in an 80% draft, I went into rewrites. So I, it's the, and my my literary agents took the book and spread it out on their conference room table, and rearranged it in another order. So I've got my version, their version, and fleshing it out to do. That's three things at once, and I've just got to finish it. All <laughs> I've got to do is look at the pay, picture and tell a story, just like I'm telling you today. And uh, uh, there, therein lies the challenge. So I'm I'm trying to put this through line to the story. I, I'm going to I have to pick a lane here. I have to get my get a storyline so that it has continuity throughout and then and then integrate their ideas, my ideas and the storyline. And and I asked my my literary agent who was also a good attorney. I said, "Am I going to be sued?" And he goes, "Oh yeah. Just tell <laughs> He he said, "Just tell the truth." I said, "No problem. Gotcha." Because I was there. I, I he he said the interesting thing is uh because you were there you have a First Amendment right to tell your story, and 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 I treat it this way. I mean, 
yeah, there was a lot going on in the set, as I'm sure you know, and I'm sure you've heard. But but I but I treat I try to tell the story in the same way that Caddyshack was was presented, lighthearted. There are a couple of issues I'll I'll address directly. Um, you know, um, yeah, it was it was the biggest party atmosphere ever. Yeah, we did a lot of things that were specific to 1979, um, but I'm not glorifying a lot of the partying because within one month after the film, our favorite person on the film, producer Doug Kenny, died. So everybody adored him. He's he was everybody's favorite person. So so I do address what went on. I do talk about it, but then I go on and tell it with a lighthearted, okay, all that aside, this is what went on. Yes, Rodney was a nervous wreck. Yes, the two of us were having lunch. You know, because they would just have lunch whenever the spirit moved them. There would be food rolling out. We'd sit down, we would eat. Yes, we were up all night partying. Yeah, they took the golf cart keys away from us. Why? We were driving around the green in the middle of the night because we didn't see a problem with that. And when they took the keys away, don't do that to somebody like me because I learned how to hotwire them in five short minutes. And we were still driving around in the golf course in the middle of the night. And yes, then the next day we would roll through because makeup, hair, and wardrobe were in the same building where we were staying like some kind of it's actually now a dorm for FAU, Florida Atlantic hmm. University. It was like a big dormitory. So we would just roll out of bed, run through makeup, hair, and wardrobe and just get scooted back out onto the set. Okay, now what? So yeah, that went on for six weeks. <laughs> you bet. The longest and best party I ever went to. So all, all the other things aside, it was an astonishing uh, opportunity and so so amazing to have been there. It was it was pretty cool. And Tron too. Um, loved it. I loved doing it. it. Was it was a lot more serious than the caddy? It wasn't the party carnival atmosphere. Let me tell you that. We shot on the Disney lot. Um, and uh, you know, and and us having lunch in our Tron costumes with all the studio suits around us is pretty interesting. <laughs> and they would show up down in the set to watch us work. And I'm like, guys, there's nothing going on here. I'm going to run from here to there and say something. You know, so there's <laughs> nothing to see here, but okay, you know, hang out if you must. Really, you know, it's not as, there really wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't visually. And again, you would think in Caddyshack, the, the grips and the crew was laughing because people say, were they laughing all the time? I've got photos of them falling asleep on the group truck. <laughs> they weren't paying any attention to us. They thought we were smart Alex who were out of control, and we were. So, so you know, the fact that either of these films saw the light of day and, and did what they did is, is a, 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 a darn miracle and happy and lucky to have been a part of them. Well, I can see why the, you know, as anxious as we are to see the book, I can see why it's being delayed because you do have a lot of other stuff going on. Well, I'm well say I do have other things going on and then there's a rewrite. I mean, I understand what <laughs> they're saying. It would, They took it and put in another through line. So I'm like, fine, I, I can integrate your concepts, but I still have to have a story. You know, you guys, are, you know, this is not a testimonial. This actually is a story. So, so I'm working. I'm working on it, you know. And and I and I, and I had to reprint it. Oh, and then I had the, the 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 joy of having my apps crash and my iPad and uh, you know, and then lo loaded it into a PC. And and my graphic designer is a wonderful person. One of like one of my best friends on the planet. And she's so patient with me. She's like, okay, I got it. Just send it to me. And so she's 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 a great graphic designer, and she's re re she's an editor. She works at a publishing house in, in New York. So this is. So I've got great people I'm working with again. So I, I, I'm just lucky. I, I'm just really lucky to be working with these people. So yeah, it's going to be done. But uh, what a good time to get it out then during Tron's 30th anniversary. I think uh, that would be a good time for stars to collide. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, I know a lot of us. But, you know, people can also, you also, and I think this, this is what I love, is that you're very accessible. People can find you, uh, if they go to your website, it's cindy-morgan.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. You do a lot of events too. You do D twenty three. You do the megacons. Sure. And you can find sure. out about other events you have coming up as well. 
Sure. Um, yes. Yes. I'll be I'll be at WonderCon next week and and uh, and and Comic Con this summer and Comic Con. Have you seen Comic? You were talking about MegaCon. Have you seen Comic Con yet? I, I this may be the year I finally take the plunge. Oh boy, this yeah. I, I'm going to talk to you after you. <laughs> it's an athletic event. You better be in good shape, stay hydrated, and uh, have your have your wits about you because it's 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 quite the event. But again, if someone is active in the industry and you are, let me just say, if you're active in the industry, this is the place to go. So so yeah. I'll, I'm going to be a Comic-Con this year, I, I, I believe. So, uh, yeah, it's it's something to see. you you got to see it to believe it. Awesome. Well, hopefully people who are listening will head out to uh, check you out there. They'll also check out cindy-morgan.com. Cindy, listen, you, you, know, you were fortunate enough to land not one but two roles of a lifetime. Fans continue to enjoy your work. They line up to meet you, hopefully for years to come. I, I can't <laughs> thank you enough. 30 years in the making, this interview finally happens. I can't thank you enough for taking, <laughs> taking the time to talk to me today. Well, Lou, you're, you're a sweetheart, and, and, and how charming for you to put it that way. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's see, let's see how this year shakes out. Then you'll have to do the follow-up interview. That ought to be interesting. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Lou, for your time, too. Thanks. <laughs>